This week on the Recruitment Flex, Shelly is well-suited for New York City. Shelly keeps waving her blue and white pom-poms for Indeed. Why are recruiters not actually recruiting and banning software engineers in job ad titles here in Alberta? Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And as always, joined by a pretty chipper Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Oh, good, Serge. I know I seem chipper. You're normally very chipper as well. But you've not been feeling too hot this last week, have you? No, I have not. I don't want to talk about it. I don't okay. want to rehash it. Okay, I won't drag it. It's gone. It's past. Hopefully, I'm good moving forward. But it's good to chat. We haven't chatted a week. at least a couple of weeks because uh, you were gone to Indeed. Yes, Future, Future Works. Works Conference. So tell me yes. more about the Future Works Conference. Oh, man. Listen, this is my first time in New York. It was fantastic. It was really done so very, very well. Just first class. Some really exciting announcements. I don't know if you want to hear it, Serge, because I know you think I've got pom-poms and they're blue and white. But it's hard to deny that they've got some really great products coming up. I've seen a lot of their product launches. Yeah. And and 90% of it won't work, right? They'll launch a bunch of stuff every year and 90% won't work. I think the goal is just to get everyone pumped up about Indeed. Well, I guess you can look at it that way. Something that I think even from the days when you worked there, I love the fact that companies will try something and not be afraid to fail. And that's probably my biggest bitch about LinkedIn was they really don't take any risks. They're not trying new products. They haven't tried to enhance. Not much has changed on that platform. Whereas with Indeed, whether it rolls out across the the entire organization or not, the fact is at least they're doing something, right? How was New York City? What was that like? 11 out of 10 will go again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I was right in Times Square. As you know, I have a friend there who's got a new baby. They live up in Greenwich Village. And it was everything that the movies showed it to be, but I only had one day. Like I just stayed one extra day, but I will definitely go back. Oh my God. I'm just surprised you haven't been to New York City. Yeah. I did go to the 9-11 Museum because I flew in a day early. I spent almost half a day there. It was incredible. It really was really incredible. And I'm by myself walking around and never felt unsafe, but I'm not walking around at five in the morning, walking around at two in the afternoon. But I think the best part was just having lunch in Greenwich Village and these cute little restaurants, just like you see in the movies. It was quite reminiscent, shall I say, of what you see in the movies. Really a good experience. We'll definitely go back. So let's talk about some recruiting insights. I'm a big fan of Tim Sackett. And he wrote this article this week and the recruiter in me was just like, yeah, yeah. He just puts into words in such a succinct way, exactly how I would be feeling as a recruiter. He talked about the five reasons your recruiters aren't recruiting. And it was just so to the point. Number one, they just don't have capacity. That is probably the biggest mistake that organizations make is to hire someone expecting them to recruit and then loading them up with 80 requisitions. 
recruiters do tend to be eager to make the placement or to find that candidate. And they will work 10 hours a day. What happens is you end up working for basically $2.25 an hour because you're putting in 80 hours a week. That really resonated with me. Oh, I agree. I think one of the things that we've talked a lot about is we have recruiters coming into roles and to be successful, you need to be working on maybe eight to 12 recs. But Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, that is double. So they're working on 16 to 24. There's certain high volume roles that I've seen recruiters deal with to the 300 open recs, there's no way that you can deal with the volume of candidates Mm -hmm. and actually give the feedback, go through the process, not ghost candidates. You think about all the steps that you need to take to make sure that you're successful in your role. And sometimes that's just no capacity, right? They can't focus on success at the end of the day, which is putting people in seats. Yeah, exactly. His point number two, I know this is actually even hard for me to say, but I know it's true, is the fact that they don't really know how to recruit. If you've only done corporate and never worked in the agency world, where you are actually having to go out and find people to actually speak to someone and have them go, yeah, you know what? I will take time off my current role to go and interview for this job. 99% of corporate recruitment is just inbound right? Post the job and read resumes based on who applied. There is this belief that, wow, we can't target our competitors because then they'll do it to us. I think it goes a lot deeper because a lot of agency recruiters have never worked in corporate. No, no, it it never goes the other way for sure. For sure. Nobody from corporate would ever go to agency. But if you're a corporate recruiter that didn't do it previously to being in corporate, you were in a staffing firm, you know what it means to recruit. Yes. Gain really good experience in recruiting on a day-to-day basis. I would 100% agree with that. And I would say that's part of the challenge that we have, that most recruiters have fallen into recruitment from HR, and this is not exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah. They maybe don't know how to recruit. So how do you fix that? I've been asking a lot of questions to colleagues in the industry recently is, what is your training program for your recruiters? Because in sales, I have a lot of training programs for salespeople. Is there any organizations out there that have design programs to help recruiters be better at their jobs? Have you heard of any companies doing that recently? Because I haven't. I think to Tim Sackett's point, companies just aren't structured properly and recruitment teams aren't structured properly. Because if the food chain is entry-level HR and you do your time in recruitment and then your whole objective is to become an HR business partner... They're not rewarding or recognizing the contribution of being in recruitment because the reward in a corporate setting is a promotion to an HR business partner versus if there were rewards and recognition for actually mastering the craft of recruitment, there are incentives for bringing talent into the organization, being able to find the people you're looking for. In terms of training, we're still in early days. I've never seen as many managers of talent acquisition or directors of talent acquisition as we have today. So was there any mentorship 
who was in charge of training. A lot of people said, I can go from recruiting nurses to recruiting tech. Well, you can if somebody trains you on that business acumen of why do we need these skills and how do these skills actually get applied within our company. I don't know if training as in how to go out and talk to people, but I think more the training is to give a recruiter the credibility to understand your business and the credibility that when they're speaking to job seekers, they honestly understand how and why each skill is needed, not just reading off a piece of paper or just simply posting a job. That's probably been a big criticism of our industry is that we don't have a formal degree or education. But Serge, I think both you and I are on the same page that you don't need a degree to do this job. But continuing education, yes, micro learning, yeah, making sure you understand how to use the technology, understand what's changing in the labor market, yes. But do you actually need a degree in recruiting? No, you don't need a degree in recruiting, but you don't need a degree in sales. But sales is the most trained and developed group in every organization. And the skill sets Mm -hmm. are very transferable Mm -hmm. between each and what you could teach them. There is very subtle ways of how you deal with candidates, with clients, and that is all taught. I've worked in many sales organizations, and I've had several different types of sales training over the years that reinforce and engage how to be better at what you're doing. Yes, you are right, but also training will not hurt. And I do think it's absolutely critical because there is a big shift from recruiting nurses to recruiting, say, software engineers major difference. You need to know the language. You need to know what the impact to the business is and what is a good software engineer compared to a good nurse. There is quite a bit of training to be done there as well. But the skills are absolutely transferable. But the training part is really business acumen that the organization, they need to invest in you so that you can do your job properly, give you the tools that you need to do your job. The other thing I wanted to talk about here was the fact that a lot of recruitment teams just aren't structured properly, right? Do you have recruitment administrators that are actually doing the administrative part? Do you have recruiters? Do you have sourcers? Do you have somebody who understands recruitment marketing? And the fact that you do actually need to understand what these analytics mean. And it's not something that somebody does off the side of their desk. A lot of organizations just keep adding bodies, calling everybody a recruiter and expecting everybody to manage this workload without stepping back and saying, what part of the process needs to be handled by this pay grade or this experience level? Most hiring managers don't know the difference. They believe that the recruitment team is working on their open position, but they have no idea that we posted it and I haven't looked at it in two weeks. But they honestly believe that something is happening because the job is posted. It pains me to say it, but I know it's true. Oh, I 100% agree. I won't blanket the whole hiring managers, but yes, I don't think they know what is done in recruitment and what actual successful recruitment looks like because they haven't been exposed to it. In all fairness to them, probably been used to the standard, hey, posted a job, a recruiter reaches out when candidates comes in to the very standard inbound approach that we were talking about. Yes. Like you posted the job and we're really just waiting for people to apply. And then when finally somebody even remotely close 
to what we thought we were looking for applies, we got to convince the hiring manager that this is the best we can get because they're not really recruiting. It's completely that, I hate that cliche post and pray, but it really is just post the job and I have to now sell the hiring manager on this is the best of who applied because nobody's got time to actually do anything outbound. And you know what? I've had arguments with hiring managers because I wasn't posting the jobs to the jobs boards initially. I had a different approach and I would get some messages from them saying like, why is the job not up? What's going on? You're not doing your job. And I had to explain my process and it made no sense to them at all until you went in depth and like, there is a method to this madness. This is actually how good recruitment is done. And sometimes they understood, but I would still say at the end of the day, they did not understood us. Oh yeah. They saw their job on Indeed and no work was being done. And talking about Indeed, there was a ton of data that you shared from future work. I'd love to hear a little bit about it. So I'll give you some of the highlights. question I get the most is around the salary transparency. The question was, is there any measurement that demonstrates that there's a, an increase if you post the salary range? I found this really surprising and actually kind of hard to believe that it was so low. 30% increase in job seeker traffic if you post the salary. If you surveyed 100 people, and ask them, would you apply to a job that you didn't know the salary range on versus a job you did? Out of 100 people, wouldn't 99 of them say, I'll apply to the job where I know what it pays? Or the job that you're applying to is a big brand name company and everybody knows they pay really well. I found that to be really low. I, I don't uh, find that low at all. Being really? in this space and understanding what an actual 30% increase in candidates means, that's actually a fairly high number, especially in a very tight labor market. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies mm-hmm. are struggling to get five applicants. So you now go five to seven, maybe a big difference. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Good good perspective. There's a couple of data points that I did see that I thought was really interesting. And I've got to say, I was a little bit surprised. 80% of job seekers are looking for opportunities outside of their current field. 85%. Were you surprised by that? 85%? Yes. This is basically everyone. What an opportunity for recruiters, right? Yeah. I think the opportunity is to attract people who have transferable skills Yeah, and bring in new thinking and new ideas. But if you're stuck in a company like a municipal government, or some of them are progressive in their thinking, but if you're stuck in kind of those old school companies, as a recruiter, now's your chance to get out (laughs) because you are going to be swimming upstream. If 85% of job seekers are thinking, I don't want to work in this industry anymore. The other one that I didn't know the number was so high, 65% of U.S. workers do not have a college degree. How bad are you fucking yourself by putting college requirements on your job ads? 65%. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the data is in Canada. I'm sure we could find out. Yeah, but 65%, Shelly. If you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, but just the number is a little bit jarring when you see it. If we look back to the stats of, say, two generations ago, it would probably be closer to 
when you look at the number of educational institutions in the US, every small town has a university or college, right? I wasn't surprised by that. I wasn't. I think proportionally speaking, that makes sense to me. It's a lot more accessible than it was two generations. And I think we are finally making headway when it comes to college requirements on most jobs that don't need a college requirement. Because in this market or any type of market that you're going to struggle to find talent, why put limitations on really good talent that's out there? And the minute you put that, a lot of people are just not going to apply if they don't have a degree. You're shooting yourself there and then you're dealing with the bias as they come in through the process because you are going to bend towards that person with a university degree, but potentially you might not have enough candidates. The facts here are you are limiting your pool of talent to 35% of the market. Why would you do that? That seems ridiculous. We talk about the comparison to sales. You can sell a product to 100% of the population. Why would you automatically eliminate 65% of it? Doesn't make any sense. All right. Perfect enough segue. indeed for me today, Shelly. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Uh, I do want to talk about something that I thought was really interesting. Tech companies here in Alberta, Canada are calling on the Alberta Premier to intervene in a battle over the software engineer title. We have a local group called the Associations of Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Alberta, and they've taken a really aggressive position when it comes to software engineers. When they're seeing software engineers' jobs posted, they're actually approaching companies and there has been some lawsuits yes. of the usage of the word software engineer. So I've been in that space for a long time. I understand it. And I have leveraged the title software engineer in hiring people. It's just a standard title that is used across mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. You're trying to attract the best and Alberta is, but you could say that about every area in Canada, US, across the world, why would you limit yourself to not use the title that these people, first of all, search their jobs in? And secondly, that they feel is a correct definition of what they do. What was your first thought? Having worked in oil and gas for 11 years and recruited engineers for 11 of those 11 years, I have firsthand experience in how seriously our provincial governing body takes this title of engineer. They actually have someone who will search job postings for the title of engineer. And if you do not have in your job ad a requirement that says you must have a um, university degree in engineering in this field, they'll challenge you. They're rather out of touch because I did a deep dive on this subject when this surfaced earlier this week. The fact is they're suggesting, Apega is saying you can't use the word engineer because engineer only applies exclusively to somebody who has an engineering designation and is certified through our association. They actually have legislation in this province on this topic. So it does mean changing the law. Love the fact that these tech companies are challenging it. I'm afraid, though, they probably won't win. Pega has been protected in this province for as long as they've existed, like 50 years. I don't know if you read this one, Serge, but you know what a Pega suggestion was for how they advertise? 
They said they would be fine if these companies advertised and called the role a software programmer and not a software engineer because they're not engineers. Did you catch that? Yeah, I did catch it. And <laughs> we're a little the- outdated here. <laughs> So interesting. Pega is actively targeting companies to your point. They have someone looking at job ads. There's a couple of things here. So I don't think they're going to win. I disagree with you because I think the power has shifted dramatically. If you look at those companies that are actively pursuing this, we're talking some of the biggest and fastest growing companies in Canada right now, in the tech sector, in a sector that we need in this local market to grow the economy, I think they're biting off something they can't chew, right? So a PEGA, are they just trying to get software engineers now to get regulated by a PEGA? Is this what's trying to happen? No, their position has always been that the reason their association exists is to protect the public. Meaning if you have a structural engineer that is building a bridge or a building, or anything that requires an engineering stamp, that it is safe and built correctly. The whole idea of the title of engineer is to ensure that people who are building these things are qualified to do so. So the seriousness of saying these engineering drawings have been reviewed and stamped by a professional engineer means that we can trust it. And there are very lengthy processes in place to ensure that you are qualified and that you remain qualified. So they're saying, use any word you want, but you cannot call them engineers because we reserve that title specifically for a certification. So the rest of the world is going to use a title, but Alberta is not going to use this title because of absolutely yeah, that's not going to work. That's going to fall no, it apart. It does, Serge. Listen, going to fall apart on them. No, it won't. Listen, yeah. there are engineers all around the world when they emigrate to Canada, must go through the process to become recertified. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I'm talking about a completely different sector that has been leveraging the term software engineer in every other area of the world. Alberta is not going to put themselves in a massive competitive disadvantage over this. They are going to lose. I don't think uh, they will. This is something we're going to disagree on because it's not just Alberta. Every province has the same association and then there's a Canadian association. So you would actually have to change right across Canada. You don't need to change anything. They just need to calm the fuck down. It's not going to Not worry about it. (laughs) Shelly... Glad to talk to you again. It's been a while. I'm uh, a little bit doozy on medication. So hopefully anything I said made sense. So have a great weekend and I can't wait to see you again. Thanks, Serge. Bye. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.